a small story. Um, when I was 15, I, you know, was doing some things that a teenager shouldn't be doing. And I ended up getting arrested um, for shoplifting from the mall. And after I was arrested, so this was 15 years old. And for folks who don't know much about um, Mexican culture, um, at 15, you're supposed to have something called a quinceañera. And um, this was two weeks prior to my quinceañera. And my once I got arrested, my mom basically made me call every single one of the people, all 300 people who were invited to my to my quinceañera and made me tell them why my quinceañera was going to be canceled. And it Oof. was because <laughs> it was brutal. It was really Oof. brutal. Yeah. And so to me, this is um, very indicative of the type of community that I come from, that they're not going to let me get away with anything. And this is exactly what I want folks to be able to do is to hold me accountable publicly um, to, you know, push me on things where maybe I said during the campaign I was going to do, but then I'm, I didn't end up doing um, during my during my actual work in Congress. And so I'm just excited for people to to constantly push me. And that's kind of what I'm planning on having people do. Welcome to Activist NNT, a podcast about real-world economics, including modern money theory, and how life changes when you discover it. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Welcome to Activist NNT candidate interview number four, hosted by Ramona Masachi and co-hosted by me. Today we talk with Stephanie Gallardo, who is running to represent Washington State's 9th Congressional District. Stephanie's a former high school history teacher and was in union leadership for more than a decade. Her catalyst for running for Congress was her concern about how her current congressman treated union members during an in-person meeting. The 9th Congressional District is the state's only minority-majority district and, no coincidence, the location of the state's only immigrant detainment facility. As the wife of an undocumented immigrant, this is an especially disturbing and ever-present reality. Like so many of us, Stephanie and her husband are living paycheck to paycheck, and in a home that can only afford thanks to the money left from her father's passing. I'm also a new and first-time homeowner, and although the pandemic allowed us to accumulate and not spend a good chunk of money, there's no way we would be in the house we're in without the generous support of our families. Pre-COVID, I wouldn't have been able to send my young boys to summer camp year after year without my father paying for it. I have another friend in exactly the same position, and this is yet another thing about our society that is unsustainable. On a positive note, 
Stephanie's campaign is off to a great start, having already raised nearly a quarter of what she needs with more than nine left, with more than nine months left to her August 2022 primary. She's also receiving the support and guidance of Sarah Smith, the progressive who ran the the progressive who ran by far the most successful campaign against Stephanie's opponent in 2018. Stephanie also has a small army of volunteers ready and waiting to be mobilized, which will begin knocking on doors in January. You can support Stephanie's candidacy by visiting electgallardo.com and electgallardo on Facebook and Twitter. That's G-A-L-L-A-R-D-O. You'll also find a link to donate to Stephanie's campaign in the show notes. There are three goals of this MMT candidate interview series. The first is to support and give a platform to candidates who care about all people, and because of this are ignored by the so-called news outlets that are in reality news of, by, and for the rich. The second goal is to determine what these candidates need to beat corrupt opponents supported by a corrupt party and a corrupt campaign finance system and especially once in office, to avoid becoming corrupted themselves. Finally, the third goal is to create a community of like-minded, MMT-aware candidates who can support each other through their campaigns, and especially once in office. The latter is in order to remain focused on what really matters, which is all their constituents, in an environment where there is overwhelming pressure to focus only on the needs, favors, promises, and especially money of big donors, both in and out of their district. If you're a candidate and would like to be interviewed by Ramona, please contact her directly on Twitter at Ramona Masachi or me at activistmmt at gmail.com. If there's a candidate you would like to see interviewed by Ramona, please let us know and please recommend us to them. This candidate interview series is above and beyond Activist MMT's regular episodes. If you like what you hear and would like to support this interview series and this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash activist MMT. But for now, on to our conversation with candidate for Washington State's 9th Congressional District, Stephanie Gallardo. Enjoy. Okay. So, sorry to interrupt you. Mona, Stephanie. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm just uh, getting myself uh, situated. No problem. She's got a dog. Yeah, I got a new puppy, Ramona. You did? It's going to be 65 pounds. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was actually, um, I don't know, sort of a blessing in disguise, you know, all this stuff with my grandmother. And we had planned weeks ago to get a new puppy during this time. And so I think it came at the right time. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Oh, thank God. I know. Puppies are the best. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know this until very recently. <laughs> it's it's the first time I've ever had a dog, really. Oh, really? Yeah, except for the puppy that uh, followed me home when I was 13. Wait a minute. <laughs> Am I crazy? Did I forget that you had a dog? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the first time I have a puppy. 
I it's just skipping my mind at the moment. I okay. You always I, thought I had dogs. No, no, no. I I I was just there. I think you. I thought you were just saying that you had a dog, but I don't recall seeing a dog. So. <laughs> You're funny. Right. <laughs> How do you not remember my dog? Because I had problems. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what but do you anyway, mean? anyway, that's not why we're here. The okay. Whole, and the whole thing was you oh, were so upset was, because of your kids want to also have a dog, and yes. you said, "Oh, all right, I have my issues. Home. I'm okay yeah. with that. I've yeah. come to terms." Yeah. Um, sorry. Oh, so anyway, the more more to the purpose of our. Of our <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Ramona Masachi. I'm your host, and my co-host is Jeff Epstein. Say hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Activist MMT, and we're sitting with Stephanie Gallardo from Washington 09. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So, Stephanie, what made you decide to run for office? Wow. You know, that's the question I get all the time. And I feel like every time my, my answer is a little bit different, just because, you know, my history is, it's really long in terms of my involvement with politics. And um, I feel like my entrance into politics was really being an educator. Um, because I think, you know, most folks understand that being an educator is an inherently political uh, position. And I in my second year of teaching, I was elected to the board of directors for the National Education Association, which is the largest labor union in the country. And wow. yeah, and it was a really exciting time. And part of the responsibilities for that position were to meet with the congressional delegation from Washington State on a quarterly basis. And so I began having meetings with, um, you know, our Congress members. And for most of them in Washington, I was, you know, pleasantly surprised at, you know, the way they engaged with folks. And obviously I have differing opinions from most of them about the way we should be doing things. But I was um, actually most shocked at the way uh, my Congress member, Adam Smith, engaged in a oh. specific meeting with um, our union members. And so it was a meeting with him about uh, vaccines. And it, this was in January 2021. And I was just completely shocked at, you know, some of the things that he was saying, the way he was engaging with most specifically our union vice president. Her name is Janie White. And I just realized in that moment, you know, politicians are not what they think they are and not what they say they are. And I thought, why not? Why not somebody who is an educator? Why not somebody who's a teacher? And I really thought this is something that we could we can do if we have real community buy-in and um, community input into the process. And so that's kind of what brought me to this specific. Um, what, what do you teach? My wife teaches second grade. Yeah, I teach uh, 11th grade United States history. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm, I specifically studied the history of economics. So, you know, okay. that, that I'm a, I work in a school and, and the history teacher that I, you know, my student has, um, you know, that's the class that I most want to talk to the teacher with. Yeah. <laughs> So you're already a leader in your community, Stephanie. 
Definitely. I, w- I mean, I would say so. I, I like to remain humble, you know, and recognize that I am similar to many other folks in my community who are doing the same type of work. But yeah, most folks in my community would definitely call me a leader. And I think being a teacher is inherently, uh, like I said earlier, political, and it requires you to be a leader in your community. Um, being a leader in a union is obviously something that um, requires a lot of engagement and Something I didn't mention earlier, which is my long history with politics, is that my family came here from Chile in 1976 after the coup that happened um, Mm. in 1973 against Mm. the Salvador Allende uh, government. And um, since then, our family has been really part of this beautiful refugee community that has um, grown here in Seattle. And um, that was my real, my first entrance into understanding what it means to be not only a refugee in this country, but what it means to be working class and um, trying to access the, the resources and understanding how things work in this country. And so really everything is, is tied together. And I think my, my real first leadership opportunity was um, in my family. Yeah. I actually want to just briefly interject. The the book Democracy in Chains talks about the Chilean coup and -hmm. how that is a major chapter in the age of neoliberalism. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what what are your obstacles in your district? What are the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? mm -hmm. Well, for folks who don't know, you know, much about Washington State and specifically the 9th Congressional District. So we are situated um, in Seattle at the northernmost point is uh, the International District in Seattle, Washington. And then it goes all the way south through Beacon Hill, which is a historically black community, um, and then through Skyway which and South Park, which is historically Latinx. Um, and then it goes all the way to North Tacoma. And so we are a community of immigrants, of refugees, of people of color. We are the only minority majority district in Washington. And um, some of the issues that we're facing really come down to the fact that big businesses, um, tech businesses have erupted in this region and completely um, made it difficult to you know, just exist and live in uh, normal communities here. Um, folks are being pushed to the South. And as an educator, one of the things that I saw most in my classroom is students who, so I I taught in Tequila, which is just South of Seattle, about five minutes South of Seattle. And um, students who are coming to my classroom every year, they were students who were pushed out of the South Seattle neighborhood because folks who are coming into South Seattle right now are, you know, generally transplants from other parts of the country um, or other countries even. um, And, Um, People can't afford to live in South Seattle anymore. It is extremely, extremely difficult to afford rent, let alone to be able to purchase a home. And our students are experiencing, um, you know, the the realities of what it means to live in a capitalist society. And I feel like Gen Z right now um, is bearing the brunt of what our political and economic system is in this world. So we're really seeing economic inequality, climate change. Um, We're seeing division and housing inequality. We're seeing, you know, racism. We are also one of the only communities in Washington state that has a uh, immigrant detention center. It's that's actually in our district and it's the immigrant detention center for the entire state of Washington. And, you know, something I I recently made a statement about um, my own family, my husband, who is an undocumented person, you know, we are constantly in fear of immigration and customs enforcement. And that is that is a reality for so many folks in our in our district. And I feel like, 
obviously ICE has to be abolished. It has to be abolished. There is plenty of other ways that we can, you know, welcome other immigrants into this country, uh, welcome undocumented folks into this country without fear, um, without racism, and without honestly dejecting them. Um, And so those are a few of, I would say, the most pertinent issues that we have here in the Ninth District. And how are you how are you reaching out to your district? Like, how are you touching base with these voters? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, being an educator is is honestly being in community with most of the folks that I just mentioned. Um, in Tequila, we are uh, the most diverse district in the entire state. Um, the most diverse, excuse me, like a uh, city in the entire state. And we have hundreds of different languages spoken, hundreds of different uh countries represented. And so, you know, being a teacher has really allowed me to have an in necessarily with um, different communities in, in our area. And I would say the way that I stay connected, though, is 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 changing now that I'm a candidate because I did quit my job um, being a full time teacher in June. Um, mm. So now that it's it's sort of like an active like I have to reach out constantly in order to, to stay connected. And it's obviously more difficult, but I, I already had the connections from the get go because being a teacher required that of me in order to be a successful teacher, at least. Um, so reaching out to communities, honestly, just dropping into businesses and learning more about folks and dropping into apartment complexes has been something uh, really interesting. Literally just going and knocking on doors in apartment complexes um, in our area has been real fun. And also it, it's helped me realize some of the, the issues that I don't see in the classroom, if that makes sense. Does that does that mean you're, you're campaigning full time? Can you afford to campaign full time? Well, I am campaigning full time, but I'm also working part time. (laughs) So I'm doing both. Um, I when I quit my job in June, my intention was to not work at all um, and just completely do campaigning. But of course, the bills don't wait. And um, my husband and I had to figure out a new financial plan in order to make it through this time. Um, So I'm definitely working. I'm working currently as a um, part-time teacher for the Urban Native Education Alliance. Um, and mm. I work on Tuesday nights, every Tuesday night, um, teaching Indigenous youth um, mm. in American Indian history. Mm. Yeah. That's a cool job. Um, <laughs> uh, do you have a, a large volunteer base of people that are knocking on doors with you? So we are just getting our field program um, started. We announced our candidacy or my candidacy in, let's see, was that April? And since then, we've definitely um, been able to harness over 200 volunteers um, to be able to to begin when we need them to begin. And so we're going to begin our field program in January. And that's when we're going to start knocking on doors and, um, you know, doing all the things that typical campaigns would do. But in addition to all the other things that um, I feel like some other campaigns are not doing, which is just truly being in community with folks and um, reaching out in different ways, multilingually, going to churches and mosques and um, temples and things like that. So definitely starting that up in January. But for the time being, I personally have been knocking on doors. And uh, how much money have you raised and how much more money do you need to raise? So we have raised, oh, I didn't check today, but I believe the last time I checked, we raised about $85,000. Oh, um, that's fabulous. Yeah. So, And how much more money do you need to raise? Mm-hmm. We are, our goal is to raise a million dollars. So we got just about 900000 left to, to raise. 
<laughs> and and realistically, how much money do you need to raise to to win? Um, we're based on our projections and based on what we want to get done. We're thinking about four hundred thousand is the sweet spot. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So you hear that, people? She's about uh, three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> When's your primary? Our primary is August twenty twenty two. It's a good start. Yeah. And who are you running against? Who's the incumbent? Oh, goodness. Uh, so folks are going to love this one. My opponent is uh, Representative Adam Smith. And Adam Smith has been in office for 24 years. Um, he is the dean of the Washington State Congressional Delegation. Um, he folks probably remember him most, um, at least on a national level, when he uh, when Sarah Smith challenged him in 2018. Um, and he was honestly pushed left by a lot of things that Sarah Smith uh, was able to accomplish in her campaign. Um, but he was not pushed far enough. And of course, he he got he to be honest, he got lazy. <laughs> right. He got lazy in um, the, the needs of his community. And um, one thing that is really important about his position is that he is the chair of the House Armed Services Committee. Um, so he was, you know, solely responsible for passing the budget for uh, the Pentagon this year, which was an astounding $778 billion, uh, the highest Pentagon budget in the history of the United States. Um, so it's really interesting because he loves to brand himself as a progressive, but the reality is behind the scenes, he is doing everything opposite of progressive and populist and uh, the things that our communities need. So really, he's not doing it behind the scenes because he is the House Arms. He's the chair of the House Armed Service Committee. So he was eyeing for that position. So this is what his priorities are. Yeah, absolutely. And I say behind the scenes because he doesn't really talk about that in the community. He talks about his progressive credentials, uh, being a member of the House Progressive uh, Caucus, um, he talks about, you know, supporting people of color, supporting working class communities, supporting labor unions and this and that. Um, but, you know, he doesn't bring to the forefront just how uh, critical his work has been in the um, the House Armed Services Committee and all the money that we are wasting on the Pentagon budget. And um, so, yeah, behind the scenes, just because he, he doesn't bring it to the forefront for people in our community because he wants to be recognized in, in our community as a progressive, especially um, riding the coattails of Pramila Jayapal. Does, do, do the voters in your district see the deception? I, I don't believe they do. I really don't believe they do. Um, most folks just think he's, you know, an everyday congressional uh, member, um, you know, back and forth to Washington, D.C. But I, I would say that a lot of people don't even know that he is the, the chair of the House Armed Services Committee. So you're going to make them very aware of that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's definitely one of the number one things we want folks to, to, to get to know about him because it's basically what he's doing with, you know, his entire time on, uh, in, in his House seat. Yeah, that, 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 those are the meetings that he's attending and those are his, his that's his focus, Absolutely. even if he doesn't talk about it publicly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what do you do, like, what are the, the, the biggest topics that you've actually discussed with people in your district face-to-face um, uh, -face when you're knocking on doors? Mm-hmm. 
So let's see, the things that uh, folks have really pointed out to me are, I would say, um, our housing crisis. In Seattle, we have one of the highest populations of houseless people in the entire nation. And, um, you know, we actually, we had some pretty contentious city council races here in the early part of November. And unfortunately, our progressive candidates uh, ended up losing, but that was because of tons of dark money that was being funneled into the, the races. And we had open abolitionists actually running in these races, and they were able to achieve over 45% of the vote. Um, and so it definitely says something about what people are ready for. They're identifying the issues in our community, such as houselessness, such as police brutality. Um, and they're realizing that, you know, we need a different, a different uh, way of addressing these things. And so what I'm hearing most is definitely that uh, we need more affordable housing. Um, we need folks in homes. Um, we need more opportunities for people to be able to, you know, address the the issues that initially caused them to be on the streets, which is the big businesses, like I mentioned earlier, um, in our communities. It's almost impossible to to be able to pay for rent in our community. I think I, I recently purchased a home um, with my husband, but the only reason that I was able to purchase a home was because my father passed away and we were able to get money from um, from him after he passed away. Prior to that, we were renting and the average rent that we were seeing uh, for a two bedroom in the Seattle area was upwards of $2,000 a month. And so it's just extremely expensive. And even now that I have this home that we purchased here in the South Park community of Seattle, Washington, my husband and I are paycheck to paycheck. We are constantly worrying about our, our money situation. And um, to be real with folks who are listening, um, you know, we are in a real difficult financial position, like so many other folks in our community. And if I didn't get, you know, this paycheck from my part-time job next month, I would not be able to pay our mortgage and I would not know what to do. And that's something that we hear echoed from folks in our community so often is that one missed paycheck might end up being the reason that they're on the streets the next month. So that's definitely the the number one issue that we're hearing most. Well, I mean, Stephanie, you're a real life person, meaning you are a person who who actually lives in society and so is affected by things that happen in society. And when right. you go to Congress, right, and you say, listen, you know, you guys are out of touch, right? People need housing. Mm -hmm. They need affordable housing that they can buy. Mm -hmm. um, we need to build it for them. And then Congress says to you, sorry, but, you know, we can't afford that. You know, that's a lot of homes that we need to build. What would you say to, to what would you say on the House floor? I'd say, first and foremost, that we absolutely can afford it, that we are the ones who are in charge of our own budget and that we can't look at our budget the same way we look at our household budgets. I already struggle to manage my own household budget, but managing the, uh, you know, the national budget is a totally different story. Um, and so I would explain to folks that we can actually add to our, our national uh, you know, debt. It's, it is okay. We are the ones who are responsible for our own coins and minting, and we can do this. And it, it's really a matter of um, you know, releasing folks from this fear that um, we're going to you know, have this, this enormous debt that is constantly growing and looming over our heads. It's, it simply doesn't work and function that way. And if they tell you, you know, like, yeah, well, if we, you know, if we produce the money to build the housing that can cause inflation, what would you say to that? 
Well, I'd say the number one thing we need to uh, to look at is that we have to um, first and foremost ensure that um, we actually have the labor to be able to produce. It's a different situation when you know we're talking about money and we can produce as much money as we want, but the real situation is we need to look at uh, if we actually have the labor power, the infrastructure, the um, the folks to be able to build those houses and the the, the actual um, products to be able to do it. Um, and that's something that we can address from Congress as well. And really, it brings back to your point with um, the immigration. It's mm-hmm. we need this labor workforce oh, yeah. that's coming in to help us build everything that we need in this crisis moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so when when people understand that, you know, this country has been neglected for so long. And rebuilding this country is going to take a lot of labor. It's going to take a lot of people coming together. And the more people we have building this country, the better off we are. Absolutely. And in addition to that, uh, you know, we need to be looking at how we can support these laborers with high wage jobs, um, you know, union union backed jobs, union labor wages. Um, You know, I was a union member for over a decade with the Washington Education Association, as I mentioned earlier, as a a union leader. And the only way we can do this is if we're actually supplying folks who are laborers with um, fair wages, with high quality work conditions, and as well as creating a just transition uh, away from fossil fuels. So you're a, a union leader in Washington State, Mm-hmm. Running for Congress in Washington District 9. That's correct. And you're running against Adam Smith, who mm-hmm. is the head of the House Arms and Service Chair. Yep. Um, and you have all of this momentum behind you, all of the people that you're already fully connected to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so you're feeling very good about this. This is great. This is a very good, I hope people really, really support you in your district and hear about you and understand how important it is for, you know, somebody who's a teacher and a union leader to replace somebody who's so out of touch with their district where people are getting completely priced out of their homes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel like we have... Um, a good amount of momentum going for the campaign. And it's not just because of, you know, me as an individual candidate. I think it's because people are really tired of um, the status quo of what our district has, you know, been told that we are, which is, you know, we have to grow and grow and grow and grow and not think about the working class people that live here. You know, people deserve to stay in their homes. People deserve high quality education. Students deserve high quality education. And we absolutely can achieve that. And folks are tired. Folks are tired of the same leadership that we've had in this district. So I feel really good about the position that we're in. And I'm excited to continue building connections and meeting with voters and um, even non-voters. I know that's like a very taboo topic to talk about folks who have not historically voted, but those people are represented also by, uh, you know, elected officials. And those are folks who I want to talk to. Absolutely. You get the people who have decided to give up to actually have faith and that's where you change everything. And pushed out, not just they giving up, they're giving up. They've also been been pushed out. Partially because they've been pushed out or not represented. Right. Right. Exactly. And how would you use federal jobs guarantee in your district? 
Um, that's a really good question. So I would say that the first thing that I'd have to do is talk with our labor leaders here in the community and our rank and file union members. Um, I feel like most often elected officials feel like they have all the answers themselves and that they can uh, dictate what happens in communities. Um, but I need to be speaking with people who are on the ground and doing the work and actually leading labor right now. Um, I've been away from you know the labor sector for about a year. And so that puts me a little bit out of touch at this point, which is why I'm continuing to have these conversations with folks. Um, but in terms of uh, you know what I think what we can do with the Federal Jobs Guarantee is work with local labor, labor labor leaders to figure out what union jobs are you know needed in our local communities, specifically related to to climate change. So, you, so your first priority is also addressing climate change, not just housing. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, for folks who don't live in Washington State, we're actually having really, really extreme floods right now. Um, somebody in the northern part of our state. Um, was caught in the midst of a, a flash flood and he ended up dying um, hanging from a tree because he um, you know, couldn't save himself in the midst of it all. And our, our floods are impacting people in the summers. We're having um, extreme heat waves. Uh, folks don't recognize that Seattle is actually a place that's truly impacted by the heat waves um, that are happening on the West Coast. But last year or this year, actually in 2021, we had um, a 10-day stretch with over 100-degree weather. And when I was born, uh, we didn't have, you know, temperatures that rose any higher than 80 degrees. And so mm-hmm. now that we're experiencing 100-plus degree weather on a consistent basis, um, we're seeing wildfires, um, we're seeing people impacted in their homes by the heat. We even had uh, concrete that was, um, I don't know what the word is, but basically they rippled together and uh, sort of melted and we had to shut down I-5 because of it. So we're definitely experiencing um, climate change all across our region. And these are things that the federal jobs guarantee could could definitely you know help by uh, creating more opportunities for people to, um, like I said earlier, have a just transition to jobs that were high paying and um, fixing the infrastructure that supposedly will be paid for by, you know, this build back better. We'll see how that works out. Hmm. And when you're in Congress, will you uh, do town halls and, you know, online meetings for the public to not only understand what policies are being presented and voted on and and what is included in in those bills, but also for them to understand how economics actually works so that we don't have this um, constant back and forth between, you know, we can't afford the, the... uh, increasing our military budget, but we can't afford people policy. Um, and explaining exactly how it works so people understand that the votes are the pay for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I will absolutely be having town halls and things like that. I, you know, as an educator, for me, what I feel is um, extremely important is um, educating the public about things that our politicians don't want us to know about. And economics and things like that are things that they don't want us to know about, right? There's a reason they don't teach uh, economics as a, uh, what's the word, not an elective in in high school. It's usually an elective, not a core credit. And I feel like that's, you know, 
pretty telling of what our politicians want us to know. And so definitely I will be holding town halls and creating spaces for education to, um, you know, be open for the public. Absolutely. That's fantastic because I feel like so many of us are really in the dark. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think the country as a whole is really in the dark. We actually don't know how our economy runs. Mm -hmm. And if we, you know, had several, um, several people in Congress that we could really trust that would sit us down and explain to us, listen, this is how this actually works. And people could ask questions. Um, it would really, you know, not that you would have all of the questions you would, you know, need to, to, to bring on uh, an, an economist that understands this as well to explain details. But people really need to, to learn how things actually work so that we can change things for the better. Definitely. No, I, I, I 100% agree. I feel like most people um, are taught not to talk about money. We're taught not to, to talk about uh, how our economic system in this country functions. And we're also, you know, in the moments where we are taught things, we're taught incorrectly. And we're taught things that are detrimental for our own, uh, you know, personal livelihoods and the livelihoods of our community. Um, so I think education is going to be number one. Uh, political education, public education is going to be extremely important um, in advancing us toward a society that we all envision for ourselves. And how can we help you? How can all the listeners, all of us, um, the, help you? Well, um, the number one thing that we need is volunteer power to make this happen. Um, I, you know, I said earlier that we have a couple hundred folks who are ready and waiting um, at the at a moment's notice to to start knocking on doors. But you know, we're going to need phone banking. We need folks to be able to to reach out to to voters in our district and also folks across the country um, to help us fund this effort. I hate that <laughs> we have to fundraise, but it is a reality of being a political candidate. And, um, you know, I am a first time candidate, so I'm honestly just getting to know how um, how tough it is to fundraise um, as a working class person. And so if folks are willing to donate, that would be amazing. Um, and if they are willing to make phone calls or if you are part of our part of our district here in the ninth you know, come to some of our in-person volunteer meetings or virtual volunteer meetings and, um, you know, plug yourself in in a place that feels right. Um, we welcome you and we're excited to have you. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I really, I, I give you a lot of credit um, because I, 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 you know, I watch, you know, from a distance, um, what everybody goes through running you know, for Congress. And it, it's a tough job. And it, it takes, it like sheds years off of your life. And, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's so much work. And, and so it's like a labor of love. Yeah. And I'm just, it's a labor I'm, of life and death. Yes. That's it's also funny. a labor of life and death. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to, to be brave enough to stand up and say, you know what, no more, no more. You know, I, I want to represent um, Washington, I, you know, no more Adam Smith. Let's, mm-hmm. let's actually get the work that we need done. It's, it, it, it's very strong and it's very impressive. It's, it's great that, that we have people like you. 
Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And I, I do just want to, you know, give credit and shout out to my family because they're the ones who have inspired me to, um, you know, have this courage and to do the things that I've done in my everyday life, starting from being a teacher, because even being a teacher takes courage, right? Being a union leader takes courage. And somebody I think about often is my grandfather, who was a socialist in Chile in the uh, 60s and 70s, right? And he um, had the courage and the audacity to believe that the the Chilean government should be run in a in a different way, and he fought for that. And so, you know, my family continues to inspire me to this day, and I'm just grateful for them. And um, you know, I, I know folks, I know Jeff and Ramona. You all know that um, my you know my grandmother passed away, but I, you know, want to shout her out too, and uh, just you know let her know wherever she is that she is one of the people who has also inspired me to to stand up and fight for our communities in this way. Beautiful. Yeah, and God bless your grandmother. Thank you. Um, Jeff, you had a question, right? Um, I have, I have, uh, I've come up with another one, uh, which is shorter. Um, but uh, before my big one is Sarah Smith ran in your district, if I believe I'm correct. Sarah Smith mm-hmm. ran in your district last, or I guess two times ago. And she by far did better than anyone had done against Adam Smith. Yep. Um, so she ran a good campaign. So what are you going to do to do better? Because mm-hmm. he just batted her aside. Even though she got around 32% of the vote, he more than doubled that. And, you know, so what are you going to do to beat him? And I wonder, is Sarah or her resources or that team um, assisting in any way or giving advice in any way? Yes, they absolutely are. Sarah is a friend. I met her um, around the same time that I uh, announced this campaign and she was extremely excited about my candidacy. You know, we've talked in great length about um, the strengths and also the weaknesses that uh, she had in her campaign. And so we're definitely drawing from her knowledge and expertise on running last time, which was in 2018. Um, And she also, you know, recognized that her and I are, while we have um, many of the different or many similar uh, political ideologies and beliefs, um, we're also two different candidates. Um, I have a long history in the 9th Congressional District. I have worked in the 9th Congressional District and our candidacies are, are different in that way. Um, my connections to the community are extremely robust and I feel very, very proud of that. And so I feel like the number one thing that um, will be different and will lead to success for my campaign is our strong roots and community and our, our desire to uplift from within. Okay. Um, okay. All right. So my bigger question is uh, basically how do you stay uncorrupted? So when you enter Congress, you're going to be very strongly pushed to do you know hours of call time every single day. You're going to be lavished. You're going to be offered favors, future favors, you know, trips, just, you know, tons of things Mm -hmm. all to serve, to disconnect you from those who need you most, which is all your constituents Mm -hmm. and change your focus to be on rich people in your district and out of your district. So, uh, and, and there's a tension because if you want to be reelected, then obviously you need money. So what are you going to do to keep in touch with your most, to keep in touch with all of your constituents? How will you balance that tension? And, you know, you can say whatever, you know, your own philosophy and how much you want, whatever, you know, and, and the long-term goal, of course, is getting money out of politics. But 
this system eats way better people than all of us. You know, yeah. it just it just spits them out. So this is bigger than you. And so what, you know, I, I believe a team, a community, something is involved. Yeah. So so what does that mean to you? How do you prevent going into a system that is designed from the ground up to corrupt and to survive and not just for you to survive, but for your constituents to survive by providing for them and right. not, you know, not forgetting about them. Definitely. Um, well, you know, in, in my conversations with folks who are in my community, um, but most specifically with the students that I have taught in my uh, decade being an educator, um, the number one thing that I plan to do is to um, create a community accountability council. And what I am uh, planning to institute is an application where folks can nominate community members to be part of this accountability council. And this council um, will hold me accountable every step of the way. Um, and that's just one specific uh you know, method that people can hold me accountable. But, you know, from a personal lens, um, I am somebody who is not naive enough to say that I cannot be influenced by things that I don't know are coming yet. You know, like I, I recognize that there are powers that are uh, bigger than me at this point that are, are trying to corrupt people who um, have the same beliefs and values and systems uh, mindset that I do. And so I know that this is coming and I'm actively working right now um, to ensure that when those people come to me, when those systems uh, present themselves before me, um, that I can be unswayable. Um, but I'm also humble enough to know that this is going to be a difficult road. Like I know that folks are going to do this. Um, so I, I am here to say to people that um hold me accountable in every way possible. And uh, students, most specifically Gen Z, um, they're the ones who are going to be, you know, knocking at my door. Everybody in my community knows where I live. <laughs> and most people say, you know, it's disrespectful or it's this and that to, to show up at somebody's house. But all my students know where I live. All my community members know where I live. And if I'm doing something in Congress that uh, is, is not truly centered um, and what my community needs, I know my community is going to hold me accountable. And there's no way I can, you know, get away from that. And then the last thing I'll say on this is um, a small story. Um, when I was 15, I, you know, was doing some things that a teenager shouldn't be doing. And I ended up getting arrested um, for shoplifting from the mall. And after I was arrested, so this was 15 years old. And for folks who don't know much about um, Mexican culture, um, at 15, you're supposed to have something called a quinceañera. And um, this was two weeks prior to my quinceañera. And my once I got arrested, my mom basically made me call every single one of the people, all 300 people who were invited to my to my quinceanera and made me tell them why my quinceanera was going to be canceled. And it Oof. was because <laughs> it was brutal. It was really uh. brutal. Yeah. And so to me, this is um, very indicative of the type of community that I come from, that they're not going to let me get away with anything. And this is exactly what I want folks to be able to do is to hold me accountable publicly um, to, you know, push me on things where, Maybe I said during the campaign I was going to do, but then I'm, I didn't end up doing um, during my during my actual work in Congress. And so I'm just excited for people to to constantly push me. And that's kind of what I'm 
planning on having people do. Okay, so two two questions. Uh, well, yeah. well, one observation and one question. The observation mm-hmm. is, you said you're living paycheck to paycheck, just like all of us. Yep. And so you, they are setting you up. I mean, all of us, but you as someone potentially going to go, they are setting you up to be tempted by all the bribe stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? They are making you, they're selling you, they're, they're creating the disease so they can sell you the cure, right? Mm-hmm. Of being desperate so that the, that it will be even more difficult to, to reject that stuff once you get in and, and have some power. And the other, and so the question I have, which, you know, I, I don't really think you can necessarily have an answer like that you've thought this deeply about it, but what do the, what kind of power do those accountability groups have if you betray them? Is it just simply showing up at your house and, you know, going nuts or? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one thing I was planning on mentioning earlier is um, I, if I'm not reelected, it's because I'm not good enough for this position and that's okay. If I'm not also, if I'm not reelected also because I'm refusing to sell out my community, um, then that's also okay. Um, I am running for this position now because I do believe I have the capacity to serve and do right by my community. Um, but if at the end of the day, I've done something that uh, is not centering community in every way possible, then voters will not reelect me and that's going to be what it is. And I'm just going to have to deal with that, right? I, I truly believe and I will, you know, institute mechanisms um, where my community can tell me if they do not want me to run again and I won't run again if they don't feel I'm truly serving their values. And the other thing that I was going to say is in the past couple of years, I've made under $40,000 a year. And I look at the, the salary that uh, congressional members get paid, which is, I believe, $175,000 um, to me. That is rich, okay? That is literally rich. And of course, I recognize that in our community here in Seattle, um, there are, you know, high housing prices and this and that. And so it would be living comfortably for sure. But um, $175,000 is more than enough um, to avoid briberies and to tell people off if, mm. they, if they come at me. Mm. That's a good point. Okay, great. Um, thank you. So, Ramona. Um, and Stephanie, where can people find you? So, my website is um, www.electgallardo, and that's G A L L A R D O dot com. Um, and it's the same Elect Gallardo handle on all my social media. The first candidate that didn't have the word four in their website. Thank you. <laughs> Not the number four, the letter four. Right. The, yeah, <laughs> the right, letters right. F O R. The word four. <laughs> Stephanie Gallardo, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. And thank you. and I cannot wait to see you in Congress representing all of us. I so appreciate that. I really, really do. Thanks, everybody. Best of luck to you in your campaign. Thanks. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Is this when I press stop? Okay, I will.
Music for this show is by Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape a Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus, then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all of the final processing in the Reaper digital audio workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online Headliner app. Welcome to Activist MMT Candidate Interview Number 4, hosted by Ramona Masachi and co-hosted by me. Today we talk with Stephanie Gallardo, who is running to represent Washington State's 9th Congressional District. Stephanie's a former high school history teacher and was in union leadership for more than a decade. Her catalyst for running for Congress was her concern about how her current congressman treated union members during an in-person meeting. The 9th Congressional District is the state's only minority-majority district and, no coincidence, the location of the state's only immigrant detainment facility. As the wife of an undocumented immigrant, this is an especially disturbing and ever-present reality. Like so many of us, Stephanie and her husband are living paycheck to paycheck, and in a home that can only afford thanks to the money left from her father's passing. I'm also a new and first-time homeowner, and although the pandemic allowed us to accumulate and not spend a good chunk of money, there's no way we would be in the house we're in without the generous support of our families. Pre-COVID, I wouldn't have been able to send my young boys to summer camp year after year without my father paying for it. I have another friend in exactly the same position, and this is yet another thing about our society that is unsustainable. On a positive note, 
Stephanie's campaign is off to a great start, having already raised nearly a quarter of what she needs with more than nine left with more than nine months left to her August 2022 primary. She's also receiving the support and guidance of Sarah Smith, the progressive who ran the the progressive who ran by far the most successful campaign against Stephanie's opponent in 2018. Stephanie also has a small army of volunteers ready and waiting to be mobilized, which will begin knocking on doors in January. You can support Stephanie's candidacy by visiting electgallardo.com and electgallardo on Facebook and Twitter. That's G-A-L-L-A-R-D-O. You'll also find a link to donate to Stephanie's campaign in the show notes. There are three goals of this MMT candidate interview series. The first is to support and give a platform to candidates who care about all people, and because of this, are ignored by the so-called news outlets that are in reality news of, by, and for the rich. The second goal is to determine what these candidates need to beat corrupt opponents supported by a corrupt party in a corrupt campaign finance system and especially once in office, to avoid becoming corrupted themselves. Finally, the third goal is to create a community of like-minded, MMT-aware candidates who can support each other through their campaigns, and especially once in office. The latter is in order to remain focused on what really matters, which is all their constituents, in an environment where there is overwhelming pressure to focus only on the needs, favors, promises, and especially money of big donors, both in and out of their district. If you're a candidate and would like to be interviewed by Ramona, please contact her directly on Twitter at Ramona Masachi or me at activistmnt at gmail.com. If there's a candidate you would like to see interviewed by Ramona, please let us know and please recommend us to them. This candidate interview series is above and beyond Activist MMT's regular episodes. If you like what you hear and would like to support this interview series and this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash activist MMT. But for now, on to our conversation with candidate for Washington State's 9th Congressional District, Stephanie Gallardo. Enjoy. <laughs> 